Amen. So, so thank you so much for your prayers and support uh, during that time. There is a word from the Lord found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, starting at verse 31. The Gospel according to Luke, chapter 22, starting at verse 31. It reads, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. But he said to him, Lord, with you I am ready to go both to prison and to death. And he said, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you have denied three times that you know me. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the opportunity to come and worship you, Lord. We thank you for your word, Lord. It's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It's your word, Lord, that will never fail. And so now it's my prayer that the gospel of your word would go forth, knowing that it won't return void, but you go send it to accomplish all that you've set forth for it too, Lord. May it go forth not in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Have your way in Christ Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. About a week ago, my family and I boarded an airplane to Atlanta. And when boarding, we were met by the flight attendants, their smiles, their, their cheerfulness, and they were helping us find our seats and getting our baggage in its proper place. But one of the things that I noticed is that when the flight attendants was doing their other duties, nobody seemed to be paying attention to them. Although the things that they were talking about was important. You know, they give you the seatbelt instructions. They give you the oxygen mask instructions. They give you the flotation device instructions. And they, they tell you where the exit doors are in case of an emergency. All those are important instructions, but nobody really seemed to be paying attention to them. But the minute the captain came on the, 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 the scene in terms of his voice coming from the cockpit. Everybody seemed to be listening. And he welcomed us on the plane and, and told us in terms of our flight duration and at what altitude we would be flying. And I just kind of went, hmm. When the flight attendants were speaking, man, nobody seemed to care, but the captain comes on board and then it dawns on me when he spoke, it, everybody listened because it seemed to believe that their life was in the captain's hands. They'd only viewed the flight attendants as somebody who would help them get seated and settled on the plane, somebody who would later bring them drinks and snacks. But the captain, they viewed as meant my life is in his hands. So when, when he speaks, I need to hear. 
And even when the captain would come on later on, man, you could have your headphones on and you would see people remove their headphones to hear what the captain has to say. They would stop reading. They would be dealing with a child and they would pause. Whatever they were doing, they would, they would stop because the captain of the plane was speaking. So isn't it amazing that we will stop and listen and pay attention to a captain on an airplane, but we won't pay attention to the captain of all of life? Isn't it amazing that, man, we'll listen to a captain who can only get us to an earthly destination, but we won't pay attention and listen to somebody who can get us to an eternal place? Isn't it amazing that, man, we'll stop and we'll listen to somebody who's just like us, but we won't listen and hear the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and we treat God as if he's just a flight attendant. A flight attendant. God has spoken through his word. I always say when I open up that Bible, God opens up his mouth and he speaks. And Christ, the king, is our captain. And I want to encourage you this morning from the title of God is trying to tell you something. God is trying to tell you something. And it would benefit us to hear what God has to say because God knows what our future holds. So we ought to pay attention to him. In our text this morning, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's already had his Passover meal with his disciples He's already had to silence them in terms of an argument concerning who was the greatest. And then he even told them about what's coming in the future when he gets into his kingdom and told them about what role they would play. But now he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. Now, now, before you think he's just talking to Simon, hold your horses there. Now, he, he calls Simon's name twice because Peter's often been seen as the leader, one of the leaders of the disciples. But he mentions the name twice and he says, behold, he's really saying, listen up. You need to hear what I have to say. And when he says Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat, that you is pull. He's saying, man, Satan wants all of you. If you name the name of Jesus Christ, if you call yourself a Christian, if you say, man, I'm a Christ follower, then he wants you. He's after you. Make no mistake about it. That's why in 1 Peter 5 and 8 it says, be a sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He's after you. He's not playing. This is not a game for him. And so if he's after us, then we need to be ready. And it's what Jesus is trying to tell you. God is trying to tell you to prepare for the enemy's attack. That's why Paul would write in Ephesians, put on the full armor of God so you can stand firm against the schemes of the devil. I know some of you don't believe the devil's real. 
Some of you think he's just mysterious. Some of us have trouble believing in Jesus Christ even. But no, God is speaking through his word. God is letting you know, no, he's just as real as you are. And even more so. And he says, man, here's what he wants to do. He's demanding. Exoteo is the Greek word. It means to ask with success. It means to ask and receive. It means he's already obtained permission to do so. You, you see this played out in, in Job. If you look at Job chapter 1, verses 6 through 11, it says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turned away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has. He will surely curse you to your face. Now, that, that's good news. Good news is that, man, he has to ask permission. Satan just can't come at a believer. He just can't come, man, and, and, and possess a believer. There's no possession of a believer. And even to get at a believer, he has to ask permission because God can put a hedge of protection around you. That's good news. Now, there's bad news because even in Job, Job didn't know God was going to remove this hedge of protection with limitation. But here's the exciting thing. Is that, man, we, we never want to go through what Job went through, but we ought to want to be in the position and have the title that Job had. We ought to want to be able to say, for God to say, have you considered my servant? Because I said, God knows you. He knows what you're able to go through. And so here it is. Because there's, there's nothing that you go through in life that God hadn't signed off on. I don't know about you, but that's good news. Because I know whatever comes my way, whatever happens in my life, I know it had to come through the hands of God. And when I read my Bible, when you talk about Romans 8 and 28, but you go to 29, it tells you that he's conforming you into the image of Christ. God has a plan and purpose for what you go through. Jesus said in John 10, 10, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came that you may have life and have it more abundantly. So we're not ignorant of what the enemy is trying to do. Whenever, whenever the enemy attacks you, he's trying to steal something. He's trying to kill something. He's trying to destroy something. And Jesus says, man, he's demanded to sift you like wheat. And this word sift, sinyazo, it's, it's the sifting that means to shake in a sieve. It means to, to put in a sieve to a point where you're able to get rid of the bad or see the bad, get rid of the bad and keep the good. This was the final process 
in when they process wheat. Remember, they would take the wheat and they would bring it in. They take it to the threshing floor. They would either have a machine or they have an ox come in and they would thresh it on the floor. And then they would wait over in the evening time and they would take the winnowing fork and they would take it and they would throw it up in the air because the wind would be high in the evening time and it would blow the chaff away and the wheat would fall down. And then the final step was to put it in the the sieve and to sift it so they could get all wheat and get get rid of the rest of the impurities. Satan is, is wanting to sift you. He wants to show the real deal. He wants to show what you're really made of, what you really got, that there ain't no good there. All there is is bad. That's what he wants to do. And the way he tries to sift you is, man, through, through health concerns, through financial problems, through unemployment, through marital friction, through dysfunctionalness in family. That, that's the way he tries to sift you, and that's what he wants to do is sift you like wheat. But I'm glad that the text says, Jesus says, but, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Now he's talking to Peter because that you is singular. He said, Peter, you, you've been selected. You're it. But now you need to know that I prayed for you. I don't know, but when I, when I read that, it just sends chills through my body because it's Jesus, the Lord, praying for me. Because I know if anybody can get a prayer through to the Father, it's the Lord. And the fact that he prays for me. That's what Paul writes about in Romans chapter 8. He says, man, we have our victory. And this is what I want you to get. The second point is that, man, God is trying to tell you that the, the, the key is faith. Faith is the key to overcoming failure. Faith is the key. Because Jesus says, man, I have prayed for you. And Paul says we have our victory in Romans chapter 8. Because Jesus, all that he's done, and because he sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. Can you imagine that? That man, God, he, he didn't just come to earth and be through. You think he's done enough. But no, he continues to pray on our behalf and intercede for us. And so when, when, you, when you face with trials and tribulation, when you face with difficulties and heartache and headache, man, you got to know that, man, you're not alone. That he's praise for you. But here's, here's the, the catch. What if Satan wants to sift? Because the text tells us he wants to sift the very thing that Jesus is praying for, your faith. That's what he's after. So Jesus says, I pray that your faith may not fail. Jesus didn't pray that you don't fail. But he said, man, in the midst of failure, I don't want you to lose faith. So that tells me that, man, failure is a part of life. If you're trying to make some progress, if you're trying to get somewhere, failure is a part of life. 
then if you stay married long enough, you're going to have some failures. If you stay on a job long enough, you're going to have some failures. If you're raising children, you're going to have some failures. Failures is a part of life. But failure is not final and failure is not fatal unless you lose faith. Man, you, you show me a person that's lost faith, they're suicidal. And not only is they suicidal, man, but they'll take the life of others because they've lost faith. The Bible says in Hebrews 11, 6, that without faith, it's impossible to please God. That he who comes must first yet believe that he is and he is a reward of those who seek him. Faith means everything to the believer's life. Faith means everything to God. So he says, I prayed that your faith may not fail. Look at what the, the text says. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brethren. When signifies time. That there's a time when you go, go through a valley experience. But we know through Psalm 23 that, man, you know that he's with you. Though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Why? Because I with me. But then there's going to be a time when, man, you go get back to the table because it says he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Weeping may endure for a night, but what joy comes in the morning. You're going to make it through what you're going through. That even when the enemy is after you and the enemy is at you, you still go make it through because of who it is you serve when you have turned again. Now, now here's the thing. It's interesting because he says when you have turned again. It means when you get back on top, when you get back in the position that you were in. He says, man, you're going to be able to do something with this failure experience. Watch it now. Because many of us want to take our failure experiences and we want to put them away in the closet. I call them skeletons. We're going to put those skeletons away in the closet, man, and we want to take the key and we want to lock it up and we want to throw the key away. And Jesus said, hold it. Because there's nothing that happens in your life that catches God by surprise. And here's the other thing. There's nothing that you go through is just for you. Your life is not your own. Your life belongs to God, belongs to him. And God is saying, I want to use that experience for my glory and for the good of others. If you just be sensitive to the Holy Spirit of God, and if you'll let him lead you, man, God will bring people across your path that you'll be able to help with that experience. Then you will be able to say, been there, done that. That's what God wants to do. And he says, strengthen, strengthen your brother. That's an imperative. That's a command. It's not an option. It's something God expects and commands us to do. It's to help somebody else. Stop trying to hide what you've gone through. If you name the name of Jesus Christ, man, you're a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, then live it out. Let God get the glory because that's what he wants. That's what he's after is his glory. 
That's why James can say, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. You read that, you're like, James must be out of his mind. <laughs> joy? Trials? Tribulation? Trouble? Issues? James, what are you on? But don't, 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 don't stop reading because he said, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, meaning God is up to something. God is doing something in your life. He said, man, that testing of your faith is going to produce endurance and let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I don't know about you, but man, that was really shouting time. You missed your opportunity to shout because that means whatever you're going through, you can still have joy knowing that God has his hand on you and he's got his hand in. I don't care how messy it is, God still has his hand in that mess and he's going to what? Work it for your good and his glory. So when you've turned again, strengthen your brother. But Peter said, Lord, with you, I'm ready to go both to prison and to death. And Jesus said to him, I say to you, Peter, we'll rock. I say that, man, before the rooster crows today, you will deny that you know me three times. Now, here's the interesting thing. The ironic thing is, is, is Peter said, Lord, don't miss this. Because Lord, kurios, means master. It means the person that's in authority and has authority, the person that calls the shot, who gives the instruction. And he used this term, Lord. It's almost like when church folk use church language but there's no, nothing really behind it. And I, I, I put this in here talking about where, where Sarah called Abraham, my Lord. First it said she obeyed Abraham, right? Calling him my Lord. And I said, man, I, I'm not trying to hint to the wives. I'm just trying to help us understand if we go use the term Lord, that means he calls the shots. That means he's in charge. That means we need to be following, we need to be listening to what he says, and we need to follow his instructions and not, not be trying to debate with what the Lord says. We don't need to debate with the Bible. It stood the test of time. It's going to be here when I leave. So we don't need to debate with God's word. But here, now, now here's the other interesting thing because, man, if you look over in verse 8 of the same chapter, when the Lord got ready to prepare the Passover, guess who he sent? Peter and John. He said, man, I want you to go into this city, and when you go into the city, there's going to be a man carrying a pitcher of water. Follow that man into the house that he goes into. And when you go into that house, man, tell the owner that the teacher desires, where's the room for the Passover? 
And he's going to show you the room. Prepare to pass over there. And the text says in verse 13, and when they went into that city, they found it exactly as he had said it. So it's ironic that Peter is now arguing with the Lord about what's going to happen with him. I don't know how many times God has said things or showed you things or spoken to you in your life, man, and man, and you hear it and you do it and you follow it, but when it comes down to saying what you will and will not do, you want to debate with the Lord. There is no debate. Here's what God wants you to know is that, man, God is trying to tell you that he knows you better than you know yourself. Yeah, yes, he does. Knows you better than you know yourself. Look at what uh, John 2.24 says. But Jesus on his part was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men, and because he did not need anyone to testify concerning men, for he himself knew what was in man. He knows. John 1.46-48, Nathaniel said to him, Can anything good come from Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus said Nathaniel, uh, saw Nathaniel coming to him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathaniel said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. In Psalms 139, verses 1 through 6. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's, it is too high. I cannot attain it. The story is told of a Native American and a businessman who was walking down the street. And as they was walking, this Native American said, Stop. Do you hear that? And the businessman is like, hear what? I don't hear anything. And as they continue to walk, he said, stop. Do you hear that? I hear crickets. Listen. And the businessman is getting a little bit disgruntled because he's saying, man, I don't hear anything. Thinking that the Native American has gone out of his mind. And just then, the Native American looked over to the side, and he went and picked up this cricket and showed him. And the businessman was amazed. He was like, man, how in the world could you hear that? We're walking downtown. We got all these people around us. How in the world could you hear that cricket? And the Native American took some change out of his pocket, and he threw it, and he let, let the change hit the ground. And about 20 people stopped and started looking. And he said, you hear what you are tuned in to hear. 
I just come by this morning to tell you, you hear what you're tuned in to hear. And God is trying to tell you something. So you need to listen and hear his word. God bless you. God keep you. Praise God. Praise God for a powerful message. God is trying to tell you something. Amen. Those of you can and will, stand on your feet. Some of you might have had that experience you knew God was telling you something and it became clear to you and you responded there's somebody in here today God is trying to tell you something for a mighty long time and this word today reminded you that you need to listen to him he's trying to tell you something depth of what he's trying to tell you has eternal ramifications. He sent somebody that you didn't even know to tell you something. He sent a friend to tell you something. He sent that mixed accident that you drove through and you came back and there was a terrible accident at that same intersection. Trying to tell you something. That loved one that you didn't get a chance to say I love you before they went to glory. He's trying to tell you something. 